Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris and I am so glad you have joined me today. I am your host and I am also the CEO of 4x400, an e-commerce holding company that acquires, operates and grows D2C brands. Uh, today, I will be talking all about uh, the reality of volatility in your business. I, I have found that one of the hardest things about running e-com brands in early stages is just how much everything is always changing. I'm gonna tell you about how I'm thinking about that today relative to cash management, inventory, planning, and uh, building your team, all the rest. I don't know that I have any of the answers here because it's a really hard problem, but I'm gonna tell you how I'm thinking about it. Hang with me. So this is a topic today that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I actually love thinking about the reality that the future is unpredictable. Um, in some ways, it's anxiety-inducing, but I, I, I'll tell you why I love it. I love it because it's really freeing when you approach the world um, and just recognize that there are some elements of forecasting that are problems that you will simply never solve. Um, I, I'll tell you, I've, I've referenced before on this podcast for sure that the most helpful book for me in thinking through this was Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise. Um, in that book, Silver outlines what kinds of things that humans are good at predicting and forecasting and what kinds of things they're not good at forecasting. And, um, and essentially, the things that we're good at forecasting, you may have heard me say before, are things where we know all the inputs. So the weather is something we're very good at forecasting because we can measure all of the inputs that go into the weather. Uh, there's almost never a weird X factor variable that is uh, suddenly changing the weather massively relative to our expectations. And compare that to sort of the economy broadly, compare that to earthquakes. We're very bad at predicting earthquakes. Um, all of those things are very hard to forecast because we don't know all of the inputs. The systems are too big, too complex, too difficult to understand. We understand all the major inputs in the weather. And so maybe not always down to the exact degree, but we, but you know, meteorologists don't miss by a ton uh, when they miss, at least within um, a a time range of about 10 days. Now, even that is kind of interesting, right? Because once you get much past 10 days, says Nate Silver anyway, um, you end up uh, finding that almanacs are just as good, historical averages basically are just as good at predicting the future as um, as any actual meteorologist in real time. Uh, once you get past a longer window than 10 days. And, and so to me, like what this says is that for all of us, even with systems that we can measure the inputs in, um, we're all going to really struggle to predict the future. And if you are like me and you think about that for your business, um, my goodness, that um, is challenging. It's really challenging because uh, there are times when you make decisions, you know, you're always making decisions, not there are times, you're always making decisions with, with um, all kinds of imperfect information. And if you don't believe me, just ask yourself what you did last year in 2020 with your business. Like nobody could have predicted um, what happened last year. Um, not that it was going to happen when it happened. And even people who tell you they could predict it were wrong. They did not predict that a global pandemic was going to happen in the moment that it happened. They might have said it was a danger that we should have all been more aware of uh, or that at least governments should have been more aware of. And, and certainly there were people who were sounding that alarm a long time ago. But there's no way they could have predicted the time or the year or whatever. Otherwise, maybe they would have um, been better listened to. So um, the world is just constantly like that. And now for most of us in e-commerce, um, we are all, uh, any of us who are investing seriously in paid social are all rel um, wrestling with a similar reality, which is 
iOS 14. Uh, None of us really knows how much the Facebook ads ecosystem is about to change, not only with iOS 14, but with what iOS 14 portends for um, all kinds of other uh, elements of what it means to uh, have social networks that uh, respect privacy in the future. Um, I mean, we just don't know. And so the idea of like trying to build up all these forecasts relative to... um, relative to those kinds of things is just it's just really impossible. So um, this creates all kinds of problems. The first problem it creates is, and the most obvious one is inventory planning. Uh, inventory planning is is just so, so difficult. Um, and so let me let me give you a couple thoughts on how I'm thinking about that. And, and I'll give you an example here. Uh, Bamboo Earth, which I mentioned last week on the show, was having this incredible moment relative to our projections. I mean, we missed wildly on our projections here. And, and this is another element of, of like Facebook ads and things that are just unpredictable and unprojectable. We're winning because of an ad that just sort of hit. And while I've run enough ads to know that sometimes you do hit on an ad and you take enough chances and sometimes you'll have major outlier victories, um, I still can't predict which one it will be or when it will happen. In fact, I spent a lot of time yelling last week, perhaps condescendingly, about how bad everybody is at making that kind of a projection. So uh, even relative to their gut and their experience and all those sorts of things. So um, yeah, so something something like paid social where you're doing demand generation is really, really hard to project even before you factor in iOS 14. Uh, so Bamboo Earth is going to do over 700 grand or something like that in revenue, maybe even closer to 800 grand in January. And and our projection was for like half that. I mean, we missed wildly, not even close. We missed wildly. And so I I just look at that kind of thing and say like, like what in the world like do we do with possibly planning inventory in the future? Because um, on the one hand, if we overbuy inventory for Bamboo Earth, that inventory can expire. And we were actually staring that risk in the face like two months ago going, oh crap, are we going to have a bunch of inventory expire because we use real and fresh ingredients in our products and um, from farms and, and we're, we don't you know, stuff them with uh, synthetic preservatives. And that's part of the value proposition of the brand. So, um, so because of all that, it creates this challenge of inventory management. And it also is a cash management challenge with inventory. Any of you who are in e-commerce know this, right? That, um, that you know, buying inventory, uh, you know, cash conversion cycle is a real problem. The idea of like, when I sell the inventory that I buy, uh, matters a lot because I have to outlay cash to buy inventory. So, uh, so if I over project my sales and then I'm sitting on a bunch of inventory that I have to really struggle to turn into cash and, uh, and that creates all kinds of bad discounting habits and, and whatever else, uh, because of that, or just like straight up cash problems. So, so I'm going to tell you three things I'm doing to deal, to, to, um, to cover over the volatility, uh, on inventory projections and maybe I'll stop there for today in terms of my thoughts on volatility. I have a lot of broader ones because particularly for things like hiring and, and that sort of thing, it, I mean, it's really can be really challenging to know. But let me give you three things relative specifically to inventory that I'm starting to think about. And I'll tell you, I did not come into this job with a finance background. And I, I have been finding myself really having to bone up on thinking better about finance um, as part of this and, and how we do that. And so maybe that's sort of like the under um, undercurrent uh, piece of advice for you here is to get better uh, in thinking about finance. If you came in as a product person or as a growth person into your job, um, I think relatively few of us come into e-commerce um, 
businesses as operators with a real finance background um, and as as the thing that's driving us. And, and good for you if you are, because you can probably think better about this problem than I can. In fact, if that's you and you're listening, please tell me after you listen to this what I got wrong. Um, but first, um, okay, so three elements. First, project conservatively. Um, this has been something that uh, we have learned the hard way. We have over-projected growth um, at times, not even because I think we were projecting wildly or unscientifically or something like that. I mean, we're always projecting relatively unscientifically, but uh, you know, for Bamboo Earth in particular, we we project with a cohort model. We we have a sense, we have a real, a pretty good knowledge of how much a customer that we acquire is worth to us over the longer term and when they're worth that to us. So we know that our customers are worth X amount more uh, than their AOV. Um, over the first 30 days after we acquire them and then the 60 days, the 90 days. And we, we, we build cohort projections for all of our projections. But even with that relatively scientific way of, um, of projecting, uh, relatively scientific, we still have these massive swings around things like Facebook ad performance, where even with all of our experience and background in, in Facebook ads, like it's still so hard for us to project what's going to happen. And that's, again, before you get a giant X factor like iOS 14, which I'm still sitting here going, I really don't know how much damage or impact that is going to create um, for our ads now and also what the long-term effects of this are going to be for you know, Android uh, and for future like iOS updates and, and just everything and, and even like policy making and legislation and all of those things. Like, I just really don't know what the long-term effects are going to be there. So, so one thing we're doing is projecting conservatively because if you over project or if you miss your projections low, you run a significant risk of overstocking inventory and tying up cash in a way that creates real problems for you. Um, and so what we've started to do is just, we just make our projections as like, here's what we think will happen. And then we just back them all off at least 20%. We just regress them automatically by a certain percentage. Um, because the thing is, you can always do a couple things when you over project or, or when you um, miss on the low side, uh, excuse me, when you miss on the high side of a conservative projection, if you, if you outperform your projection. The first is, um, that you can, um, typically you can spend less in advertising at a higher efficiency. And that really matters because if it means you make a little more profit in the short term, but don't get as much growth, you're probably okay. And you actually have now funded with cash, the ability to, to grow more, um, or, or to put that cash back into the business another way. So in that kind of worst case scenario, if, you know, if you, if you're missing by 20% or whatever, and you, and you, um, stock out of an, of an item or you risk stocking out of an item, well, you, you slow down your growth a little bit, um, for sure, but you you probably spend less ad dollars to do that in most cases, unless you have some viral moment or something where you literally can't control the growth, um, then that's a different story. But for those of us who just like have performance wins um, in some ad channel somewhere or something like that, um, you, that's a lever you can adjust in real time much easier than you can adjust the inventory or the cash lever in real time most times. So that's that's why um, that's part of the reason to project conservatively. Um, and then secondly, it, you know, aside from that, you can get into real cash challenges by um, tying up too much inventory to where you are really, really struggling. Um, 
if you if you uh, overproject your growth and then can't sell enough, even to where, like I said, even if you're not dealing with um, expiring product, you can still just have so much cash tied up that you get into all kinds of bad habits um, in the long run. So the safer move, typically, it's less sexy. Like people love to see fast growth, but especially if you have a SKU set and a lead time on your product development um, that you just can't, you know press a button and get more product in two weeks or whatever, it becomes really, really problematic. And one more thing I'll say about that is if you do stock out of products, there are plenty of times where you can use that to your advantage. You know, the um, uh, a, scar- a scarcity of supply means that you can often raise the price or you can use that as a demand lever. You can email your audience and say, hey, we're running out of this product. You can email your list, we're running out of this product or or we're, um, we did run out of this product, get yourself on the list to sign up to get notified when we get it back. It's another email to send when you restock to say, hey, we're back in stock on this item. Even if the person didn't put themselves on a restock email list, but they're just on your general list, it's a great email to send to your whole list. There's all kinds of things you can do to sort of turn that into a moment where you can create value. So, um, so that's the first thing I'll say is project conservatively as a reflex, okay? Secondly, consider your financing options. And this is something that I've done poorly. And consider your financing math. Um, so um, so with Bamboo Earth, uh, you know, there's some risk to expiring uh, product. And that's a, that's a real problem that we have to consider. Um, however, if you take a brand like Slick for us, like Slick Products, assuming we don't leverage ourselves to a point where we, um, where we, tie up so much cash that it creates a huge problem for the business. Um, Overstocking slick inventory is not the worst thing in the world, especially for stuff we buy from China and ship by boat across the, across the sea. Like, um, like that stuff takes a long time to get here. And so it's really hard to get it fast, to get a lot of it fast. Uh, And therefore um, what we need to be thinking about is that if we over project our inventory or if we, um, overstock our inventory, slow down our inventory turn a little bit and tie up some cash. One, a couple things we can consider is, uh, how is, is potentially financing the inventory. And there's a couple ways you can do that for most e-commerce, uh, businesses. Even if you don't have like, uh, you know, if you can't get a bank loan or something like that, uh, you can, uh, for example, utilize a, a product, a financial product like settle, um, settle we have utilized before, uh, where we can, you can go and push off a payment to a vendor by 30 days for an additional cost of 1% of the order. So if you buy $50,000, um, worth of product from a vendor, you pay 500 bucks and you push that, um, inventory buy off uh, 30 days. Uh, now your vendor has to agree to accept settle. Um, and there's a couple different ways where this works. Uh, and sometimes by the way, your vendor themselves will give you this kind of financing and you should consider that as well. So, um, that option, but, but think about what that means. Now that's not an incredible, you know, sort of annualized, that's a 12% interest rate. So it's not like, it's not like incredibly cheap capital, but as a raw dollar amount, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. If you're buying a $50,000, you know, batch of inventory, um, so, you know, there's a back and forth to how you want to think about the raw dollar amount versus the percentage. And, and again, it's a, sort of a better finance person could probably think a little bit better about that problem than me. But what I, what, what, uh, Dave, who works with me and who you've maybe heard on here before, um, and is a brilliant dude, he, he, one of the things he said to me was, listen, if you buy, if you're deciding between a $40,000 inventory buy for inventory, that's not going to expire and a $50,000 inventory buy, um, 
because you want to, you know, play your cash more conservatively or not. And you potentially would need to, you know, if you miss your numbers, you'll have to push off a payment for that inventory by 30 days. Then really the marginal difference in that inventory buy is $10,000. And if you have to finance that $10,000, then the actual risk, the actual sort of finance risk you're talking about there is a hundred bucks versus the risk of running out of inventory, which is potentially much, much higher or having to or, or like, air freighting the inventory, which could also be, um, you know, much more expensive than, than financing it. Um, and I just wasn't thinking about that very well as a potential option. Um, but to just basically play that math out when you're deciding on your inventory purchasing, if you have a finance option available, like settle, or if you can go to, uh, somebody like, um, a clear bank or a way flyer and, and go get some financing on your ad spend, um, or, you know, even Shopify capital, um, go get some financing on your ad spend itself. Uh, that can be another way to do the same thing, to do something similar, to to have them front some ad spend because you have some cash tied up in inventory or something. Uh, ultimately, it's a different type of financing, but it can net out to the same spot. Um, in that in that case, in that scenario, if you are um, doing that, then what what you're really deciding between is a mar- is not you're not financing a fifty thousand dollar order at that point. You're deciding between. $10,000 in marginal cash, right? Between 40 and $50,000. So really the decision is, should I spend that amount more? And, and my risk there is the actual financing cost. That's the risk that, I'm, that I'd be potentially running. So um, it's almost an argument against, if you understand what I'm saying here, what I'm saying is the marginal difference in those inventory buys might not actually be as high as you think, despite that it's a lot of cash, um, if you think about it from the perspective of, of financing it. And so um, so, so just be aware of those kinds of options, because if you can do that, then you can start thinking a little bit better about upside and downside risk relative to stocking out versus, um, versus potentially financing some inventory, um, and, and doing as good of a job as possible to, to do as little of that as possible, of course. But, uh, but in light of volatility, it just might happen. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of the counterpoint actually to the idea of projecting conservatively. If the financing option is available and cheap enough, then maybe you actually do want to keep a more ag- and, um, ag- aggressive projection and and maintain plenty of inventory. Um, of course, another element of thinking about uh, financing and inventory is to think about your inventory um, as a series of investments as opposed to as an as one inventory buy. For example, um, if you if you're um, if you have a very good gross margin, your risk, uh, you should probably project, if your cogs are cheap, you should probably project more aggressively because uh, if you miss, you have tied up less cash in inventory, right? This is, again, sort of fairly obvious, but, um, you know, even in Slick's case, I've told you that fulfilling the product, uh, shipping the product is is what makes our product so expensive. Well, if you think about when I have to pay for things, depending on my terms with my vendors, um, the actual gross margin on the product is pretty good. It's just the shipping cost that's more expensive. And for some, and for at least with my 3PL, I typically have 30-day terms on paying my uh, fulfillment. So while it's the case that... Uh, that my like cost of delivery, relatively speaking, is high. If you break that out 
the um, actual inventory is relatively cheap and it does not expire. Um, and I don't have to pay the shipping cost until after I've sold the product. So therefore, there's sort of an advantage to keeping more inventory for that brand on hand because again, it just doesn't tie up that much cash, relatively speaking. Now, it, you know, again, it's all relative to sort of your revenue numbers and, and all those things. And so it may actually be worth, in fact, it may even be worth um, buying more inventory at a cheaper per unit cost, getting some economics of scale uh, or e economies of scale on my on my inventory purchase, um, because uh, if I can buy more inventory up front, then uh, well, you know, what's the worst case scenario? Well, then I um, I have to finance it. And again, if you think about that, maybe I save some money on the purchase of inventory. So if I have to finance it, well, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, kind of nets out. So. Um, so that would be part of the way that I would think about that. You know, for Bamboo Earth, skincare famously has incredible margins. Now, the, the terms are not as good because we're working with small farms for Bamboo Earth. Um, or, you know, for my newer brands, I don't have very good terms because um, I'm ordering in much smaller quantities and I don't have a long history with my vendors in quite the same ways. Uh, but if I have excellent margins, I am more likely, it's, it's a better idea for me to stock more inventory um, because the total cash tied up in that inventory is much lower. So, um, I mean, you know, listen, it's not news that great gross margins make business easier, but they really do. Um, and that's why the other thing that I will say about this is to start thinking about your product mix and your SKU sets um, a little bit more like a series of individual investments instead of as, um, as sort of one thing called COGS. Uh, here's another thing, here's another example of that. Uh, repairing facial serum. Uh, one of the more popular products for Bamboo Earth um, has excellent gross margins. Um, uh, you know, in terms of just the raw, like uh, raw material orders, and um, and even sort of, uh, yeah, well, raw material orders um, first, and then secondly, we main, we you know produce our product ourselves for Bamboo Earth. We are not buying from, um, uh, we're not buying finished goods. So. For that product, it only requires three ingredients for us to make, and our margins are above 90%. Um, so I only have to pay less than 10% of the uh, average order value off that product in in terms of uh, outlaid cash to get the raw materials. And then it only takes three ingredients and therefore is a relatively easy production process um, for my team to create that serum. And, uh, and therefore... I should never run out of serum. It just doesn't make any sense to do that because it's it's sort of um, too good of a product for me to stock and to hold on to. On the other hand, I have products where, um, you know, if my margin's not as good, uh, I think like, for example, our uh, our magnesium deodorant um, is has much worse margin. And that means that not only is it not necessarily the fastest moving product, but it's also, uh, you know, gross margin much closer to... Um, or, you know, much closer to 80% plus, and now it's still very good gross margins, but at the same time, just there's elements of it that make it a less attractive product. Whereas, so now if I build my marketing and my inventory buying towards serum and away from uh, deodorant, then I'm going to build in some advantages, not only in terms of the unit economics of uh, how much profit I make per order, but the cash outlay in producing the product. And uh, that can be a really, really useful thing. And of course, if I end up with too much of it, I can also discount my serum uh, at some point and still make plenty of money because again, the gross margin is really strong. So again, uh, it's not um, it's not news that margin makes things easier, but I'll tell you for some reason, as intuitive as what I just said, I think is uh, invest more in higher margin, easier to produce um, faster delivery products, right? Um, 
I just wasn't thinking that way. And so much of my business, because I wasn't thinking in terms of finance, I wasn't thinking about each product as its own little micro investment, basically. Really like a portfolio. Like um, each product really is like, like an, its own asset for me to consider investing in or not. And that's, that is what so much of this is, right? It's about, um, I am buying a product because I think I can sell it at a higher price. And in that respect, it's very much like investing in a, you know, a stock or something like I, I'm buying it because I think in the future I can sell it for more money, um, and it's the same exact kind of thing. And and for me that just was not a super intuitive idea. So project conservatively, think more uh, about um, how to finance each of your products, um, and then the other thing I'll say uh, about volatility is expect it, expect to be wrong. Manage cash like it's going to be wrong. Uh, manage hiring like it's going to be wrong in our kinds of businesses. Like, do everything you can, uh, of course, uh, to project, build from the future in all these different ways. But at the end of the day, expect volatility. Know that your projections are going to be wrong. And here's what I'll say about that. Um, afterwards, when you analyze what happened, don't analyze it in terms of like, oh no, I got it wrong. But instead, think about your analysis as a way of underlying or highlighting uh, or underlining or highlighting your thought process. So when you get your projections wrong, know what you got wrong. Project carefully enough. Project by uh, traffic channel or revenue channel or um, or uh, product or whatever it is, you know, new versus returning customers, those kinds of elements of your projection, the more of that stuff you can build in, the more you are able to then go backwards and say, okay, what did I get wrong? And what does that tell me about my business? Uh, that can be actually really useful. And it may make you better at projecting in the future, but it may not. The, the main reason that it's useful to you is to give you a better sense of like what you believed to be true uh, at a previous time in history versus what actually happened and what actually is true in your business. And that can be fruit for all kinds of other analysis. So um, so those are the three things that, I, that I'm thinking about in terms of volatility. Number one, project conservatively. Number two, think seriously about... Um, sort of financing your products, understand your financing options, and then three, expect to be wrong. You know, sometimes I get on the end of these episodes and I just think like, somebody is listening to this going, how did this guy get this job? When he is saying only things that are so obvious that all of us understand clearly, and, and that's maybe just my imposter syndrome talking, uh, which I think you know a lot of us wrestle with, uh, and you know, or maybe it's true. Maybe there's just elements of this that were not obvious to me, but um, so it goes. Uh, that's just the reality. There's a lot to learn all the time, and a lot to think better about all the time. That should be intuitive, should be obvious, but in the midst of things, you don't always think about it. So, um, hey, if that's you and you you hear this or you think I got something wildly wrong, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Email me at podcast at 4x400.com or DM me on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris, that's F-A-R-I-S, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, before I finish, though, I want to make sure to say one other thing, which is uh, listen next week. We are, we've got some big news about a, a, something with one of our brands that I, uh, am going to clue you in on. It is, I'm going to, I'm going to give you all of the details on something that I think most, uh, times we just, you just don't get to hear all the details on. So, um, it's a, it's a big episode, um, for us marking a big moment in our history. And, uh, yeah, I'm gonna tell you all about it next week. It's going to be a really good episode. So, so, um, stay tuned for that again. If you're thinking about unsubscribing, um, give me one more week and then unsubscribe if you want to. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we'll uh, talk to you then. So thanks for listening and, uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>